0: Worked to put uh, that program together and make the message so clear and plain to us this morning. I just want to continue that uh, by reading a, a text of scripture, um, and uh, they raised a, a very important theme in their celebration uh, of Christmas that uh, I just want to briefly bring to your attention this morning. Isaiah chapter 9 uh, is a great passage that speaks to us of the coming uh, of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Isaiah chapter 9, I'm going to begin reading just a few verses. Verse 1 Nevertheless, the gloom will not be upon her who is distressed, as when at first he lightly esteemed the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, and afterward more heavily oppressed her by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan and Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death. Upon them a light has shined. You have multiplied the nation and increased its joy. They rejoice before you according to the joy of harvest as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For you have broken the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor is in the day of Midian. For every warrior's sandal from the noisy battle and garments rolled in blood will be used for burning and fuel of fire. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it. And establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Last Thursday, LeBron James showed up for the game at the Quicken Loans Arena wearing these shoes. Now, not on the court, but uh, he he came strolling into the arena... Uh, With uh, shoes saying, long live the king. Uh, Maybe we could call them his Christmas shoes. What do you think? Christmas retells the story of the birth of a real king. The child who was born to Mary was the son of David, was the son of God. And his name is Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. And just for a moment, I want you to think on that name. He is the Everlasting Father. It's an interesting title for a baby, isn't it? (laughs) Everlasting Father. What does that name mean? What does that title tell us about this child whose birth we celebrate? Well, first of all, It speaks to us about the duration of his reign. That word everlasting. Everlasting. You know, when I think of that, I think there's two phrases that might help us maybe grab a little bit of what it means for him and this reign to be everlasting. You ever heard the phrase, long live the king? Now, we don't use it here in America because we don't have a king. But in other places of the world, it was actually a a phrase that... uh, That first, I'm told, came about 15th century in France. And and actually the whole phrase was this, the king is dead, long live the king. The king is dead, that is, the predecessor is gone, but long live the successor, long live the king. And the idea behind the statement was that the throne will never be empty. There will always be that one to step into place. The country will never be without a monarch. So even when a reigning king dies, there is still a king. And so it was a way of affirming continuity of the throne. Interesting, it was not the continuation of one king, but the continuity was found in the succession of kings, one after another. But this, this continuity didn't always bring about and does not always bring about stability. In fact, back in, in Isaiah's day, the prophet who wrote the text I just read, back in Isaiah's day, by the time we come to chapter 9, the nation of Judah had had a succession of kings. They had had two really good kings. The name of one was Uzziah. And the name of his son was Jotham. They had been been good kings. They had brought stability to the nation. They had brought prosperity to the nation because they were two kings who honored the Lord. Uzziah served a lot of years, and and then he died. His reign was done. His son steps into the role of Jotham. He was a good king, but his reign wasn't very long. He died when he was 41 years old. And then his son came to the throne. His son's name was Ahaz, you read about him a few chapters earlier in Isaiah, and he was not a good king. He was not a king who was faithful to the Lord. We're told that he went the ways of of idols, he forsook the Lord, he didn't lead the nation as his father, as his grandfather, he did not trust the Lord. He made bad decisions. And because of his bad decisions, the nation was suffering. Suffering. The nation was being threatened. In fact, because of bad decisions that Ahaz made, their king, the nation and, if you will, that throne was on the brink of collapse. And you can imagine in Isaiah's day, there were people saying, oh, for the good old days of Uzziah and Jotham. But they were gone. They were done. Their reign was over. And when you go through those times of change and succession, it creates uncertainties. It creates I think it's illustrated in a historical account from about 300 years ago, November 30, 1718. A guy by the name of Charles XII, he was called uh, Carolus Rex. He was the king of Sweden. He was killed by a bullet that went through his head while he was inspecting trenches during uh, the siege of Frederiksten, Norway. The circumstances of his death remain unclear. It's not known exactly where he was uh, when he was hit. It's not known if the shot came from the enemy rank or if the shot came from his own lines. His death marked the end of the imperial era of Sweden. That's the historical background for a, a recent song that was written actually by a Swedish band. The lyrics... of of that song, Ask Questions that illustrate the uncertainties of of losing a leader, whether it's thousands of years ago, whether it's 300 years ago, or whether it's today. And they said this, dreams are seldom shattered by a bullet in the dark. Rulers come and rulers go. Will our kingdom fall apart? Who shall we now turn to when our leaders lose their heart? Lives are lost but at what cost will the grand dream fall apart? Killed by his own or by his foes, turn the tide, three hundred years still no one knows, the secret remains. Broken dreams so grand, sing of his final stand, long live Carolus, brought by soldiers' hand, back to the Long the fatherland, long the careless long live Carolus Rex. Brought him back to Sweden, where we put him in a chest. Years of war and agony. Now the king can finally rest. Leaders rise and leaders fall. And as they fall, uncertainties and fears. The child whose birth we celebrate will need no rest. He is everlasting, he will reign forever. There will be everlasting continuity, there will be everlasting stability. And we know that history is the story of the rise and the fall of of leaders. Leadership is always changing because every leader, no matter how much you like them, is temporary. And you never know what's coming next. You know, there's a lot of speculation these days about uh, what post-Queen Elizabeth II Britain will be like. You know she's beginning to step back a little bit, and and uh, not only news but tabloids are all speculating what's it going to be like. Her 65 year reign has been the longest in England's history. She's pretty popular. There is a sense in which she is a, a mother figure of the country, beloved. But the question is, will the British monarchy survive? After her. Prince Charles doesn't give me much hope. Will it survive? Will it survive? You know, something in us worries. Something in us grieves when a leader we love is no more. Because the question in our mind is, now what? Now what? This child's reign will last forever. You ever thought about and wondered how long is forever? For children, it's how long it is till Christmas, right? I remember when I was a kid, uh, driving, we lived in Maryland, and my grandparents lived in New York, so we'd make, the, we'd make the trek to grandma and grandpa's for Christmas, and the time it took to get from Maryland to New York was forever, yeah, forever. My concept of forever has changed over the years. I mean, in my teen years, forever was how long it took my sisters to finish up in the bathroom getting ready. Okay, so, so forever is one of those evolving concepts in, in my mind. But forever means without end. This child, the Messiah's reign, will never, ever, ever end. There is hope in that, there is stability and there is strength. In that so so long live the king is 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 a phrase that i think of when i think of this word everlasting there's a second phrase that perhaps you've heard of that i would associate with this term as well and it's this phrase they lived happily ever after ever heard that before they lived happily ever after this king reigns forever Which means it's never going to be announced that the king is dead because he's not going to be overthrown. He's not going to be forced out by vote. He's not going to be assassinated. He's not going to grow old and die. There is no successor needed for this king. And his continual, stable, unending reign is the guarantee of goodness and prosperity. You know, the human story is ultimately not a tragedy. Because the reign of this, tri- of, of this child will be the ultimate happy ending to that story. I mean, we look around and we see what's happening in our world, we listen to the news, and it seems that all we hear is tragedy after tragedy after tragedy after tragedy. And it's a long time since we've heard some good news, and we can begin to believe that the story of the human race is a story of tragedy. But ultimately, the story is not one of tragedy because of this child and his everlasting reign. It is the guarantee that ultimately, the human story is not a tragedy. It's a, it's a beautiful thing. And it's a victory. You see, there's something in our, there's something in our soul, there's something in our spirit that wants the plot of a story in which the hero wins and the villains lose. There is something deeply unsatisfying about reading a story or watching a movie where the villain wins and the hero is done. Something inside of us cries out, that's not right. It can't be that way. And I would say increasingly, as stories and movies are that way, it reflects a worldview of no hope, of no hope. But I'll tell you what, we have hope. The story does not end that way. Every Hallmark Christmas movie, is it, is it a sigh or is it, I don't know what's going up from you. Every Hallmark Christmas movie has the same kind of ending. You ever notice that? Not that I watch them, but I'm just, I'm, I've heard, I've heard. <laughs> right, Jenna? She's got a cover for me. Okay, the soldier makes it home for Christmas, right? The couple kisses. Yeah, yeah, I I, I see the eyes. Yep, yep, the couple kisses. I've noticed on those, like, there really isn't hardly any story after that. The inn or the orphanage is saved, right? One of the reasons... These sentimental and predictable, right? Highly predictable. Are you saying the lines before they say them? Even if you've never seen that one before? <laughs> one of the reasons these sentimental and predictable movies are so popular today is because they provide relief in a world where villains of hatred and heartache seem to be winning the day. They honestly are an escape. They are. Are they real? Are they real? we look around our world and we see real and so there is some escape. But I'll tell you what what, what, what isn't fake and what is very real is that ultimately the human story ends in victory. It doesn't end in defeat. It makes all the difference. It's exactly what we are going to get. We are going to get the happiest ending of all because of this child. You see, the, the, the everlasting the everlasting part of this title, "The everlasting part of this reign," means that his subjects will live happily ever after. That, that was actually in, in the verses I read, the beginning part of Isaiah chapter nine, where you read in those verses that liberation is turned in, it, it bring, brings about joy. There was, there, was, there was heaviness and darkness and oppression, but liberation comes, and there is joy. Because, the text tells us, war has ended, and at long last, the perfect ruler whose reign will never end has come to the throne. Happily, ever after, forever, and ever, and ever. Listen, I don't care what you see out there, what you hear on the news, take God's word for it. This is where it's headed. It's headed towards ultimate triumph for Jesus Christ. It is headed for happily ever after for everyone who is in Christ. That's his promise, because he is the everlasting. Now, two parts to that title. He is the everlasting father. So what's this father part? Well, the the everlasting part tells us about the duration of his reign. This word father gives us a description of his reign. It gives us a description of his reign. If you're familiar with Christian belief, what we call Christian orthodoxy, you, you know that we believe in a triune God. There is one God who is three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Enough said on that. This statement, this title, is not about that. This title is not about the Trinity. This title is not saying that God the Son is God the Father. That's not what's intended in that title. God the Son, Jesus Christ is God the Son. So it's not about, it's not about his position in the Trinity. It is describing his reign He is a father. You know, uh, kings in, in, in those times, and even sometimes in our own culture, kings were viewed as fathers to their subjects. And what's interesting is there is still that tendency in our own, in our own day for, for people to, to look to their leaders or, su- or certain leaders almost in that kind of a way, that this, this father, this father figure or, or maybe a mother figure is there is there to watch over and, and there is a dynamic of, if you will, the, the monarch to the subject of a parent that was very common, very common in ancient times. And you'll go to cultures of the world today and you'll still find that, that the leader, the leader of whatever the, the village, the group, what, whatever that leader is, 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 a, is, a, is a parenting kind of figure in what they provide. King Ahaz was not a good father to the nation. The, the, the king that was in place when, when Isaiah was writing these words, King Ahaz, was not a good father to the nation. We read elsewhere of his reign. It says, during this time of trouble, King Ahaz continued to reject the Lord. He offered sacrifices to the gods of Damascus who had defeated him for he said, since these gods helped the kings of Aram, they will help me too if I sacrifice to them. But instead, the the Bible says they led to his ruin and the ruin of all Judah. Ahaz was not a good father as king to those people, to that nation. He was more like an adulterous husband who was unfaithful to his wife. He was more like an alcoholic father who squandered his paycheck, leaving his family destitute. That's the kind of king Ahaz was to his people. He was a derelict father. And he he left them vulnerable and weak Because he was not the father to them that they needed as their king. But not this child. Not this child. He will be the ideal father to the nation who had had so many unfaithful fathers. This one will be the everlasting father for the people. So what does it mean then that Jesus is the everlasting father? Because this child in in Isaiah 9, 6 is Jesus Christ. What does it mean that Jesus is the everlasting Father? Well, first of all, it means this. It means that he will be your everlasting life giver. That's what it means. This child, Jesus Christ, whose birth we celebrate, will be your everlasting life giver. This gets to the heart of this title. You see, fathers are life givers. We use the phrase in this way, to father means to procreate. The father is the male genetic contributor to the creation of an infant. This child Jesus is the father. He is the progenitor of everlasting life. It is from him that everlasting life will come. The children declared that as they quoted scripture, as they sang for us this morning. Life comes from him. He is the everlasting Father. He did this by dying on the cross for our sin because the wages of sin is death. We were under a death penalty. But Jesus Christ went to the cross, died in our place, taking our sin. He was buried and then he rose again from the dead. He beat death. He was victorious over it. And he lives today. He is the one who is providing life. Through his death and resurrection, spiritual life is created by the Holy Spirit within the one who believes, who puts their trust in Jesus Christ. This life we receive in salvation is the very life of the resurrected Jesus. His life becomes your life because your life won't survive. His life becomes your life. He is the originator. There's some, Jesus said some very interesting things. For example, in John chapter 17 and verse 3, Jesus said this. He says, and this is eternal life. That's what we're talking about, okay? This is what eternal life is. That they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Eternal life is being brought back into a relationship with your maker, Being brought back into friendship with the one that we've rebelled against. Eternal life is knowing him. Eternal life is fellowshipping with him. Eternal life is is enjoying him. And how does it happen? It happens through Jesus Christ. He's the one who brought the life. And then Jesus said this. One of the children quoted it just a little while ago, and you're familiar with it. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that's Jesus Christ, That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have what? Everlasting life. From who? From Jesus Christ and what he has done for us, the gift of God. Everlasting life. Jesus Christ is the Father of that life. And then he goes on, and he says, he says this: Jesus said this: I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the source of that life. He is the progenitor of that life. He is the one who creates that life within us. It is his life that becomes our life. And so he is our father. He came to save you from your sin and to give everlasting life. So that Jesus is the everlasting father means that he will be your everlasting life giver. There's another thing it means. It means that he will be your everlasting provider. He will be your everlasting provider. And I say that because of this. This is what dads do. This is what fathers do. What, what, however the constructs of any society and culture may try to define this, let me tell you from God's word and the design of God that one of the things that fathers do is fathers provide. They provide for their families. They provide for them. They make sure, they do everything that they can in their power. For some, it's a lot of hard work. (laughs) A lot of blood, sweat, and tears to provide. But fathers provide. And as the everlasting father, Jesus Christ will be your everlasting provider. Interesting, Jesus said this in John 10.10, I came that they might have life, but look, at it's, it's life that is abundant. It's life that has everything we need. Everything we need, both now and forever, provided through Jesus Christ. And a little while later in 2 Peter chapter, uh, chapter 1, I believe it is, 2 Peter 1, 3 and 4, th- this description, that his divine power, God's divine power has granted to us, has provided for us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us, by which he has provided for us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, which is the very essence of the life that he gives us. He provides for us. He gives us everything that we need relative to being in a right relationship with Him. He gives us everything we need right now in this life to be who He wants us to be, to do what He's called us to do. There is nothing He's holding back from us. He is our everlasting provider. He is, in the most beautiful and perfect sense of the term, He is the gift that keeps on giving. He's the provider That will keep on providing. Which means this. Whatever it is you think you need. If he hasn't provided it. You don't need it right now. You don't need it right now. Because he's a father who knows exactly what you need. And he is a father who will give you exactly what you need. And so if there's something in your life that, 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 that you, you know that you say, "Hey, what about this? What about that?" There's something in your life you think you need if he hasn't provided it, you don't need it right now. It also means this that whatever it is he has provided, you absolutely need it. You absolutely need it. So do you know what he's provided for you? He's provided for you a way way out of the sin that holds you down, holds you back. He's provided a way back to himself. He's provided grace to make it through the day, to face whatever it is you're facing right now. So the question is do you want what he provides or are you, are you hoping for something else he will be your everlasting provider and also it means this that Jesus is the everlasting father it means he will be your everlasting protector fathers protect they protect their families Kings protect their nations. Leaders protect those who have been put under their care. He will be your everlasting protector. And let me promise you this, you need protection. We're not just talking here protection from physical harm. We're talking about the ultimate protection, which is from spiritual destruction. There is an enemy described in the Bible, named Satan, who is out to destroy you. He's out to destroy. We see his handiwork every single day of our lives. Where you see killing, where you see hatred, where you see division over over all kinds of things, it's the work of Satan. Because that's what he does. We need protection. We live in a world that really doesn't love God, that doesn't love the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, as the story continues, you may know that the child whose birth we're celebrating right now was killed by the world. Crucified. Because they hated him. We live in a world that doesn't love God, It doesn't honor God, It doesn't respect God, It doesn't fear God, And that in its own way seeks to undermine or reject or overthrow what God is doing. You need protection. I've saved the most sinister threat for the last, and that is we need protection from our own selves. Ultimately, the reason Satan has his way in our lives, ultimately, the reason the world has its way in our lives is because we let him. We let him. And we need protection from our own selves. Left to ourselves, I'm especially thinking in terms of spiritual, left to ourselves, we will destroy ourselves. But we have a protector. His name is Jesus Christ. Jesus, as your Father, will protect you. Jesus promised this, in fact, in John chapter 10, verse 28. Jesus said, I will give them, there's that that gift again, I will give them eternal life, everlasting life, and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. Why? Why? Because we have an everlasting Father who protects. And I love the words at the end of the letter to Jude, verse 24 and 25, Jude says this, Now to him, Jesus Christ, now to him who is able to keep you. <laughs> That's a statement of protection. Protection. He's able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless. Not just to to protect you from blowing it, but to watch over you so that you become exactly what he wants you to be. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and an authority before all time, now and forever. He will be your everlasting protector. Christmas is a time of many sweet memories. And for many, part of the sweetness of the memories is, perhaps you think back on your own father. Many still have their fathers present with them and will be with them at Christmas this year. And some of you can only think back and remember in uh, years gone by the special person that your father was, the special place he had in your life, the way he brought life, the way he brought provision, the way he brought protection. Um, But he's gone now. And there's a bittersweet sense to that some of you never had that kind of father and so there's not sweet pleasant memories of your father in your life though he may have been the life giver by conceiving you he was not the provider he was not your protector Jesus Christ is the everlasting father And he will be your everlasting father. See, the reign of Jesus that is yet to come over this earth in the future and the reign of Jesus Christ right now in the believing heart is the reign of an everlasting father. Father. So I just ask you the question this morning. Is he your father? Is he your father?